This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Life expectancy, on average, decreased by two years for Chicagoans in 2020. That's from data released yesterday by the Chicago Department of Public Health. And a closer look at the numbers shows that life expectancy for Black and Latino people decreased disproportionately. We've covered this issue on the show before the pandemic, but COVID-19 plays a big role in making these disparities worse. Mayor Lightfoot has announced the city will invest $30 million to address the problem as part of her Healthy Chicago 2025 plan. Joining us to discuss the city's plan to tackle the life expectancy gap is Dr. Allison Arwoody, Commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health. Hi, Dr. Arwoody. Welcome back to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. So this isn't a new problem, right? Uh, Life expectancy has been trending down for years. But can you explain for us how the pandemic fits into all of this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Chicago Department of Public Health tracks life expectancy because for me, it's the if you're going to choose one number, it's the one that tells you the most about health in the city. And after 150 years of increases in life expectancy, just over the last decade or so, we've started to see that fall. Uh, but in in just the first year of, of COVID, 2020, before vaccines, that two-year drop, seeing a drop of life expectancy like that in just one year, you'd have to go all the way back, to, you know, 100 years ago to the 1918 pandemic to see that kind of decrease in just a single year. So COVID had a big impact, but it wasn't all COVID. Direct impacts and indirect we saw. So we saw deaths from heart disease and alcohol use and diabetes all go up in that first year of COVID. We saw motor vehicle accidents, drug overdoses, gun-related homicide, lots and lots of factors. And unfortunately, as you noted, it didn't land equally on all Chicagoans. So although all race ethnicity groups saw that loss of life, at this point, black Chicagoans across Chicago live 10 years less long than white Chicagoans. Walk us through what factors contribute to that, that racial divide. Yeah, so the biggest one is actually those chronic diseases, the heart disease and the diabetes and some of the cancers. Uh, a lot of that, of course, is linked to things like do people have access to healthy food and uh, opportunities to exercise, safe spaces. But after chronic diseases, COVID-19 and other infectious diseases are coming in at number two. Uh, and then opioid overdoses, gun-related homicide, and infant mortality round out the top five. So we really are focused here at CDPH as part of Healthy Chicago 2025 on those five main drivers and then all of the things underneath them uh, that, 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 that make those show up differently um, for reasons that have nothing to do with biology. Yeah. And you, you've said, doctor, that there's not a miracle cure to, to bridging the gap. So what would a layered approach to solving this problem actually look like? Yeah, so there, there's not, you know, I wish we had a vaccine for opioid overdose. We don't. Um, and in the absence of having just a snap your fingers approach, this really is an all hands on deck uh, moment, I think. And so, for example, some of the things that, that um, Mayor Lightfoot has supported and we've been working to grow is we've taken some of the lessons from things that did go well in COVID, things like investing in community-based organizations, some of which are traditionally healthy 
health-focused, some of which are not traditionally health-focused, but creating these regional networks of organizations that uh, have as a, as a primary goal, along with working on housing or uh, gun violence or education or development, also thinking about how that work connects to health, uh, funding and supporting those organizations, funding people who can do the outreach work, the community health worker uh, approaches, the knocking on doors and reaching out to individuals that has been so important, especially in neighborhoods that don't have as much access to health care. And then it's working on that access to health care piece, making sure that people can access high-quality preventive health care, not just can they go to an emergency department, but do they have a primary care provider? Uh, can they, do they have a mental health provider if they need that? And so we've been making investments in mental health resources. Uh, we've been supporting the federally qualified health centers, which all over the city exist for people who may not have insurance or uh, a high income or have immigration uh, paperwork all in place. And it's about health care, but even more than that, it's yeah. making the investments in the places that we haven't always made them. And life expectancy for Latino people dropped three years between 2019 and 2020, which is very, very startling, doctor. Yes. Speak to how yes. urgent this problem is for this city. Yeah, it really is. You know, Latinos um, saw the largest decrease in that first year. And in fact, we've seen a 12-year decrease for Latino life expectancy just since 2012. And a lot of that, again, is linked to chronic disease. But we also know Latinos are less likely to have health insurance, in some cases less likely to be connected to health care. And this is a problem for everybody, regardless of race, ethnicity. Uh, there are ways in which our city is not set up to allow people to live their healthiest lives. Um, and I think if we don't put health uh, as part of conversations we have, whether it's related to economic development, um, educational opportunities, these have impacts on health too. Some of that root cause work yeah. uh, is critical. As you've mentioned, black Chicagoans are expected to live on average an estimated 10 years less than white Chicagoans. And it's the first time in decades that life expectancy actually fell below the age of 70 for the city's black population. That's right. Why are we going backwards, doctor? So, again, the biggest drop we saw there was directly from COVID. Uh, just between 2019 and 2020, deaths in the city, we had a, almost a 30% increase in the number of Chicagoans who died in that year. Um, and, you know, about 4,200 of those extra deaths were due to COVID, uh, but another 2,000 of them were due to these other, uh, these other causes. We saw black Chicagoans, 35% of them lost health care coverage in that first year of COVID, right? Uh, and when you see that, we, so much of our access to health care is tied to things like employment and whether people have insurance through employment. And so seeing people where you have differing rates of underlying chronic diseases and then you don't have the access to take care of them, yeah can lead to these kinds of outcomes. And it is preventable. We can do something about this, but it means thinking about policies and it means thinking about making equal opportunities for investments in, across the city. If you're just tuning in, I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and that is Chicago's top doctor, Allison Arwady. We're talking about the mayor's plan to allocate $30 million to addressing a declining lifespan among Chicago residents. Doctor, help us understand, how do you address a life expectancy decline when the causes of death, as you've pointed out, are so varied? Because treating a rise in opioid overdoses, it seems so different than trying to address heart disease. 
this is why some of it is about the working on the underlying causes. Where do people have other opportunities? Um, uh, but there are very specific evidence-based things that the city can and, and under this mayor is investing in on these issues. So just super quickly on something like infant mortality, right? Um, babies who die in that first year of life. Huge, you know, one of the top five contributors to the gap. And we're launching a program called Family Connects uh, that aims to actually have a nurse doing a home visit to every every baby born in the city eventually. Uh, that's a huge new undertaking, but if you look in those first uh, few weeks after a baby is born, that can be a really uh, vulnerable time for mm -hmm. a family. Um, and having a nurse do that visit makes sure mom is getting the medical attention she may need, the baby's getting the medical attention. Yeah. But more importantly, you're looking at the family and what are the gaps, what are the needs, how do we make sure that these families, because almost all families have unmet needs at that time. Is that, um, is that going to be possible though? It seems like really ambitious. It does seem really ambitious, but we, we, we you know, you look at numbers like this, you got to set ambitious goals. We're already in four birthing hospitals in Chicago. There are 18 birthing hospitals, and we're hoping to really be in all of them over the next year if we can get there. We're using some of the, um, you know, the new rescue funding to support this kind of expansion. But we've seen in other countries that these sort of home-based approaches and really making sure that we're we're moving healthcare out of clinic settings, making sure everybody can access it again. You Universal. This is how you drive these kinds of improvements, um, and you don't tie it to whether somebody's income or their insurance or where they live. Uh, you say this is a need. More than 90% of families in Chicago um, have unmet needs, like in those first few weeks after a baby's born. And how do we, as a community, think about uh, preventing what can be really bad outcomes at that really vulnerable time? So that's the public health approach, as opposed to waiting for somebody who has a problem to sort of come and seek health care. It's about how do we create systems that make sure everybody has um, the access that they need and the support to really be able to live their healthiest life possible. So when it comes to the life expectancy gap, how does Chicago compare to other cities? So our gap is bigger than some other cities. It's There are cities that the gap is even larger, but we are such a segregated city still here in Chicago um, by race ethnicity going back decades that geography can sometimes be shorthand for race ethnicity here. And so we see some concentration. For example, there are uh, parts of the city, especially on the south side and the west side, that for decades and decades and decades have not had a lot of uh, investment geographically. So you have these pockets of not a lot of economic opportunity sort of overlaid with race ethnicity. And it means that the gap is bigger here. Um, and again, we really see that as something you've got to talk about the structural racism that underlies that. Uh, and it's about recognizing that here we have made decisions for decades and decades that have led to this gap. This is not something biological. Yeah. Um, and, and we are, you know, this is not something Chicago is, is should at all think is acceptable. Um, and we're trying to raise awareness of it and tackle it head on. Yet the mayor's plan, Healthy Chicago 2025, is supposed to address this health disparity in the next yeah. three years. Is that feasible? Um, closing this gap in three years is not feasible, but setting the goal of closing this gap and making progress toward that is not only feasible, I think it's imperative. Uh, and as I said, you know, we're investing, I told you about the infant mortality, but in gun-related homicide, it's not all about police investments. For the first time, we are making real investments in some of the, the city as in the violence prevention street outreach kind of work that shows when you look at people who are in these violence intervention 
intervention programs, you see a 20, 30 percent drop in uh, gun-related both victimization um, and and uh, arrest. These are the kinds of preventive investments that we need to make as a city and that we are making newly for the first time, honestly, uh, under this mayor. And there's a long way to go on this, but it's not all COVID. There's similar work happening on opioid overdose um, and then the chronic diseases. Really, what does it mean to create a city where uh, people people can, can access things like healthy food no matter where they live? Um, there's a lot to do, but there is evidence on what cities can do to work on this. And I think using life expectancy, it's, it's, it's a hard measure. It's not one you can fudge. Uh, and I think that's important where we as a city address whether we're handling, um, you know, one of the most important roles, which yeah. is protecting people's health and safety. And with so much to do and so many pieces to this puzzle, what do you want to see the city address first with that $30 million? Yeah. So um, one of the things I love about this $30 million investment is it does go in these healthy Chicago equity zones uh, to six regions of the city. The whole the whole city is in one of these, to be clear. Um, and each region actually gets to choose. The community organizations get to choose which of these main things they want to work on. If one of the regions decides as a group they want to focus on, you know, breast cancer mortality, you know, in that area, and one wants to do food insecurity and one wants to do uh, opioid work, we are letting the community voices make that decision as long as they're working toward the overall goal. Because what we see is it's about building that infrastructure, those tables, and then you get people working on this together, you build infrastructure, and then if you have another, you know, hate to say it, COVID church, pandemic, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you have a whole workforce of people who are working on these more chronic, longstanding issues who can pivot uh, in an emergency kind of way to something the city may need more short term. So so when we think past COVID at CDPH, we, we, have, we are trying not to build temporary scaffolding. So the Healthy Chicago Equity Zones work, it comes from lessons of COVID of saying, let those community leaders decide which for their area is, the, is what they most want to focus efforts on, get that coalition building going, get that workforce going, um, and really get to work on uh, the day-to-day work of making sure that, that we're getting people access to things that can make them healthy. Healthier, you also then build that muscle uh, so that we're more ready, especially from personnel perspective, um, if we were to have another crisis at some point here. Before I let you go, doctor, and, and for the Chicagoans listening right now, when will they be able to see the impacts of this investment? So um, certainly, you know, every you'll note we were talking about 2020 data now. That's because it does take more than a year for all of the death certificates to, you know, come through. We know how many people died from COVID, for example, in 2021. We know how many people have died in 2022. But a lot of those other causes only really come to us as the death certificates get finalized. So if people would like to go to chai.gov slash COVID impact, you can see some more details about both this data and some of the surveying we've done to understand what's driving it, but then also the Chicago Health Atlas. ChicagoHealthAtlas.org is where people can look by neighborhood if you want to see what's happening in your neighborhood on a lot of these root causes, Um, and we'll be updating that at least annually um, and speaking really honestly and openly about where we're making progress and where we're not. That's Dr. Allison Arwady, Commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health. Thank you for your time once again, doctor. 
Now, as we've been discussing, new data show life expectancy in Chicago has dropped by two years on average, with Black and Latino Chicagoans dying much earlier than white Chicagoans. And the pandemic has only made things worse. One person who's taking this issue on headfirst is Donna Thompson, CEO of Access Community Health Network. That's a group of 35 health centers across Cook and DuPage counties. Welcome back to Reset, Donna. Thank you so much for having me. Also with us is Aisha Jaco, Executive Director of Westside United. That's a coalition of organizations working for community health and economic wellness on, of course, you guessed it, Chicago's West Side. Welcome back, Aisha. Hi, thanks for having me. Donna, I'll, I'll start with you. What do you make of the additional funding that Mayor Lightfoot and Dr. Arwady announced this week, which is that $30 million to help close this gap? Well, I think, again, it's a step in the right direction. We know that um, generations of African-American and Latinos have had the worst health outcomes, the disparities, you know, impacted by decades of systemic racism, violence, and trauma. We also know that if you compare residents at Streeterville versus those in Inglewood based on a uh, NYU School of Medicine 2019 analysis, there can be a 30-year life expectancy gap. And with COVID-19, it really shed a light on how uh, vast this impact has, in a very negative way, have impacted generations living, especially on the south and west side of Chicago. Aisha, what about you? What are your overall impressions of this initiative? Well, at the onset of COVID, we were invited by Mayor Lightfoot to come um, to help think through what the best strategy was for a data-driven mitigation um, to address the high rates of COVID mortality and morbidity. And so at that table, you had the convergence of community, public health, and healthcare working to help crafted strategy and we got things up and running and we were able to save a lot of lives in that process through a variety of strategies by um, helping to distribute PPE across the city of Chicago, food um, and other key resources that were needed at, at that time. That work evolved into the Sh Protect Chicago Plus work which took um, a hand at looking at some initial vaccination efforts and that initially or eventually morphed into what we now know as the healthy Chicago equity zones, which Dr. Alwardy um, talked about. And so we've seen the evolution of being at this table be an investment of, with, you know, giving community leaders and those frontline um, organizations opportunities to sit around the table and make shared decisions with public health and health care. Yeah. We fast forward to health equity zones. Westside United is the uh, regional lead alongside Rush for the West Side. And so we are right in the midst of the roll down of these funds being one of the six um, health equity zones and will have an opportunity to continue to grow that seed that was planted in March of 2020. So I also agree that it's a step in the right direction. And Aisha, we just heard Dr. Arwady say that there is not a cure-all to this problem. What's your response to that? We, I agree. I agree with her point around it being an all-hands-on-deck approach. I do think that if we are going to address it in our work at Westside United, we look at the social drivers 
in the life expectancy gap, and it does cut across more than access to care, as the uh, statement alluded to yesterday. So we're looking at and we're saying that in our case, if we're going to decrease the life expectancy gap between the loop and Tim West side communities by 50% by 2030, then we have to look at the economic vitality of residents. We have to look at the neighborhood and built environment. What does food look like? What does walkability? What does housing look like? Um, we have to think about education. So for us, it has to be a multi-pronged, all-hands-on-deck approach. And our work also mirrors Healthy Chicago 2025 and other work that we see coming out of Medicaid transformation supports in the establishment of health equity anchors yeah. across the city. Donna, what are your thoughts? Well, um, one of the things I'm also very excited about, because it really is all-hands-on-deck, I know Westside United and Access Community Health Network are also partners with the Westside Health Equity Collaborative, which was really born from the ideal that transgenerational racial disparities, inequities, discrimination, and generational traumas have really created this pervasive and persistent health and economic stressors. And again, the partner organizations that include health systems, community-based organizations like ACCESS and mental health centers and community, other community-based organizations have really formed an alliance to really scale our efforts, not opposing, but together to achieve health equity focused on the West Side. Yeah. And again, part of this collaboration is using community health workers that we know many times they're going to be key in helping an individual navigate to optimum wellness, not just by seeing their provider, but also addressing issues that are also many of the social drivers of health, uh, a poor health outcomes. And Donna, the, the life expectancy numbers they're, they're pretty grim. So I wonder if you were surprised to see the discrepancies just written out so plainly. You know, after spending close to 30 years working on the south and west side, unfortunately, um, no. Um, it, it, it is very grim when you really see the data. But, you know, day in, day out, um, when we look at issues around infant mortality rates, to um, how chronic disease really disproportionately um, affects those, uh, many of those people of color that are living on the south and west side, we know that this is a long time coming. Yeah. Um, also, because of the pandemic, I think it's our, also our opportunity to be more transformational, to be able to look at collaboration in a different way, um, similar to what West Side United has been doing on the west side. Now, we're going to talk about COVID in, in a moment, but chronic diseases like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, these are also driving that gap. So, Donna, sticking with you for a moment, how do you address those longstanding issues? Well, one of the things we know because of COVID that many people have been hesitant um, in getting preventive care and also um, staying engaged with their providers. And so we have an all-out campaign of getting people back into care, making sure that they get their preventive screenings. We know because of COVID that, unfortunately, we're going to see more individuals with late-onset uh, stages of cancer, mm -hmm. um, and many times their chronic disease 
really being, um, so to speak, out of whack. And so it's up to those in primary care as well as those that we collaborate with that have, that can influence, can help guide, um, and, and being trusted individuals in their communities. Um, and that's why community health workers are so vital during this time um, with the model that we've, we're creating with the Westside Health Equity Collaborative. Aisha, what do you hear from, from people that you interact with on a daily basis? Like, what do they say would help them improve their health and, and ultimately close the gap? So in terms of us, when we think about um, our domains and to the, some of the conditions that are listed um, as causes, and the gap uh, beyond COVID is that we look at hypertension management. And so there are strategies, one, to align across our health systems, to standardize care. And when we talk about community-based practice and what we hear from community, it is resources that allow them to take their health into their own hands um, so that you don't have to wait until your next appointment to track your blood pressure. But there are, are things in place that you have access to, like a cuff and other technology that allow allow you to um, take ownership of your health. Another piece is also in the maternal child health space where we are working uh, again with our FQHCs and health systems around thinking through how we standardize care. Since we know that East Garfield Park on the West side has the highest disparity, Mm -hmm. we know that black women do. So we're thinking about strategies like Dr. Arwadi mentioned Family Connects. We're a part of a collaborative on the West Side that is enrolling pregnant women in that program uh, to ensure that they have access to care once they deliver um, and even things and supports that um, are available before then. So it's it's about access. It's about breaking down um, silos. It's about making sure that you know, people have the right to a grocery store, like the work we're doing in Garfield Park, when we Mm -hmm. think about the role of food in these conditions and just access and equity um, in those spaces. And it's about giving... Is the pandemic making it harder to address these these issues? The pandemic has definitely put... Um, had us pivot in our efforts when we made our 1,000-day commitment to the West Side March 5th, 2020, we all know what happened a few weeks later. And so our pivot was revving up our supports, hearing from the ground to say our businesses were drowning and needed support, that people needed access to food. So we began to pour more resources into local food pantries that people needed access to PPE and testing. So as we come out of year two, um, what we're seeing is that our communities who we did give support to in terms of funding, in terms of giving them access to sit at a table with CDPH and others and have, as Dr. Already mentioned, resources be directed in the region in the way that they see fit. Mm-hmm. That's where we've heard that that's been the greatest value add um, and allowing the people who are most affected to be part in the decision of the decision-making process. Back to the all hands on deck approach, we saw it at the onset of COVID, local philanthropy come together to pool resources to help um, the the engine that we put together in our city to be um, responsive to COVID. We now need that same momentum continuing as we see the the drop in life expectancy due to COVID. We need those same um, approaches from philanthropy and others to support the work of institutions like Westside United, like the Westside Health Equity Collaborative and others. 
Donna, this this data the city released showed the pandemic played a pretty big role in cutting the city's life expectancy short. As the COVID pandemic becomes more endemic, do you expect to see life expectancy improve? Well, I think that there's a couple of factors we also need to look at. Um, when the public health emergency sunsets, um, you know, um, the number of people that will lose their Medicaid benefits will be stark. Also, um, the number of people that will um, not have as much access to staff benefits or a decrease in that will probably be stark. And so when you add that up, looking at what the economy's doing um, around, you know, uh, the price of groceries, rent, having affordable access to housing. Um, And these are all areas where when we look at issues that could be top of mind for many residents, um, it's really sometimes healthcare becomes an afterthought, unfortunately, rather than a forethought. And so we've also have to really look at because of the pandemic, um, that there is going to be infrastructure changes and we're going to have to work very closely with our communities and um, um, what I call our government uh, leadership in looking at ways to help support them during this this transition of once the public health emergency sunsets. So we're almost out of time, so I want to ask a very important question of both of you. Uh, I'll start with you, Aisha. What do you want to see the city do with this $30 million investment? I think that, as mentioned, it, the city's off to the the, the appropriate start with um, channeling and building off the work that was put in place by establishing the racial equity rapid response team, by establishing Protect Chicago Plus, and now being in this health equity zone space that the right intention is there. Um, if the city continues, as I know it would, will, to incorporate voice of community have public health and health care at the table, which is Westside United's model, then I am assured that we will continue to be a model city around how we have our efforts for addressing um, the life expectancy gap be replicable. Um, we're going to need local philanthropy to join the city mm-hmm. in continuing this work just as it did at the onset of COVID. So I think the city of Chicago is off to the right start. What about you, Donna? What do you want to see? I think it's off to the right start. And I think, again, we have to continue to focus and push for sustainable models. Um, Too many um, times our communities have had false starts, um, investments that have disappeared. Um, You know, we talk about a grocery store in West Garfield um, that disappeared after being there for over 10 years. And these are stark realities of what people go through in the communities that we're describing. And so, again, we've got to keep each other accountable, and we've got to continue to look for transformative ways that work and then replicate those models. You know, Aisha, we talk about communities as, as resilient, but is there anything giving you hope that these discrepancies will change? I think we are working alongside the people who are most impacted and um, really um, leading with the collective genius that they bring and the fact that they are part of the solution and helping us drive that and create that, that is a critical piece in that. And our our model and intentionality around the convergence of healthcare 
government, yeah. public health, and community is something that we're seeing as something that's more common. It's not an anomaly anymore. When we started this work, it's becoming um, very much embedded in the DNA of how you mm-hmm. are successful in doing this type of work. That's Aisha Jaco, Executive Director at Westside United, and Donna Thomas, CEO of Access Community Health Network. Thank you both. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.